I'm Chuck Norris, and I approve this game. Between the time when gamers play with miniatures and chainmail, and the rise of the Wizards of the Coast, there was an age of advanced role-playing undreamed of. And onto the Skygas, destined to bear the jeweled crown of TSR upon a troubled brow. It was given to teach us all how to roll for initiative. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! The Roll for Initiative podcast, volume number three, issue number 142. This is Letters to the Editor number four. Or Rocky V. I, IV, I should say. Okay. DM Vince here, sitting with DM Matt. Hello, everyone. And back again, DM Chad. Hey, yo. And D... Oh, wait. DM Nick is not here this week, guys. He's celebrating Easter with his family. Happy Easter, everybody, for those that celebrate Easter. Happy Easter. Yes. Today is a day when the bunny goes and paints his eggs and hides them from all the little kids. The Easter Beagle does that. Thank you very much. Excuse me. And of course, the Easter on uh, Easter Beagle's eggs are full of candy, not actual eggs. So, I don't know, whatever. So we have tons of emails and voicemails to listen to, and lots of stories to hear from Chad from uh, GaryCon. So let's start right away with the uh, GaryCon story. Chad, why don't you tell us how that was going? Oh, GaryCon was was great. Uh, we had a really good time. Uh, went up there. Actually, brought uh, a couple friends of mine that had never been to a convention actually before, and they had a great time. They were running around playing, you know, different games. But uh, while I was there, I guess a few of the highlights. I got to meet one of my heroes in the gaming uh, game writers world. Uh, the uh, not often seen, uh, Merle Coach. Rasmussen. Sorry. Yeah, I got to meet and have drinks with Merle Rasmussen, uh, the uh, creator of Top Secret. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, and, you know, I'm a huge spy buff. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, I even wrote my own kind of backdrops slash setting for Top Secret. You know, I call it Checkpoint Charlie, and so I got to actually kind of show that to Merle. Uh, and he kind of flipped through some of the pages. Uh, you know, he, he thought it looked okay. So he's kind of a quiet guy, so it's it's kind of hard to read, you know, and I didn't want to come off too fanboyish, you know, when I was talking to him. Didn't really want to get that restraining order put on me, so... But yeah, it was it was awesome. So one, I think it was Saturday night. I had drinks uh, with uh, Merle. Uh, Jason actually was the one who introduced me to him, and uh, and then Bruce Hurd uh, came over and sat down with us because uh, he knew Merle from back in the day at TSR, and those two chatted for a bit, and it was just awesome to listen in on them talking, you know, uh, about the old times to each other. Uh, and then, you know, the games went really good. I ran a, one of my own, uh, top secret games and I also ran chill. And after I ran chill, I went over to, uh, Steve Sullivan's table. He's the guy who, uh, he was the art director, I believe originally for chill, uh, for the original pace setters chill. And, uh, he was running a chill game. I was the only other person running it. And, uh, 
So we, you know, I, t- I watched his game for a little bit and then I was talking to him. I was like, you know, I think I messed up a little bit on my combat rules. And he was like, well, did everybody have a good time? And I said, well, I think they did. He goes, well, then you didn't really mess up. So that was that was kind of cool. Uh, trying to think of anything else. Uh, you know, I, it, it was always great. I got to, you know, see Frank and uh, Menser, you know, and talk to him uh, a couple throughout, you know, on and off throughout the convention. And I talked to Tim Kask and uh, it's always good to see Luke Gygax and all the other guys that run the convention. And uh, yeah, so it was it was I would say it was a really fun time. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So, uh, Matt, what have you been up to? Well, last weekend, my gaming group, we rented a cabin down at uh, General Butler State Park and had our own little uh, impromptu gaming convention, since uh, there's not too much gaming convention-wise going on right now in the area. And basically, we rented a cabin at a state park and played board games all weekend, and it was glorious. So, we played... I, I let me go to the official tallies because we actually do keep records for this from year to year. This is our third what we dubbed Cabin Con. So I think that's awesome. That's a great idea. Oh, it, it's totally great. We get like seven guys together. We rent a cabin. It ended up being for, per person over the weekend. It was like eighty five bucks for three nights in a cabin, and there was, it was great. We played oh, going through this thirty one different games over the course of the weekend. Um, everything from like Avalon Hills Auto Racing to the Star Wars X-Wing miniatures game and everything in between. We had Euro. We had War Games. It was just really good times. Uh, we also have a X-Wing trophy that goes to the winner of the X-Wing tournament every year. So we kind of have actually have a trophy that we pass off and we're talking about getting additional trophies as well for some of the other games we play every year so there's a little you, know, you guys you should have done uh it came from the late 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 show at the you know yeah. like at midnight and did like a spoof on friday the 13th yeah we we've this is like the one time we actually really don't do any role-playing it's strictly board gamings at this point we've talked about doing like maybe a rpg session Mm-hmm. But it came from the Late Late Show is definitely going to be played at my group at some point. I've already determined that. It, it's just a matter of uh, fitting it in between uh, campaigns. I love it. I can't wait to run it. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. It's just a great, wacky game. I, w- I still want to g- – I need to get the uh, expansions for it, though. I just – I want the full – it came from a Late Late Show. Right, right. I think I got the full one from Amazon. Or Noble Knight games. Yeah. I don't know. Came with two bucks. So anyway. Yeah. But yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. It's good times. And I highly recommend anyone who has like a consistent group they actually enjoy being around and can tolerate for being locked up in the woods for three days to do something like this. Yeah. I think I'd probably end up killing Michael. Yeah, <laughs> call it. I, I could handle over the weekend. I think Michael, after a while, I would have to strangle him with his own uh, uh, cravat. <laughs> you guys would become the Dead Players Society at that point. <laughs> the dead Players Society, <laughs> the Murderous Players Society. Nah, I, I kid. Of course, I would. I would never strangle Michael with his own cravat. I oh. use uh, his frilly shirt, <laughs> his poofy shirt. It's poofy shirt. 
So that's fun and all. Cool. Yep. So what have you been up to, Vince? Nothing. No. Oh. no I'm just kidding. I did run my first session of face to face with my group, and we had a good time. And uh, be going, continuing going forward next weekend or past weekend, depending when Matt puts the show up. So it should be fun and games. Uh, first edition at the local Reaper store here in Denton. I know there's a couple people that live here in Texas that live that listen to the show. You're more than welcome to come down and try to squeeze your way into the table. More the merrier. It's always fun. I like having nine to ten players. So, Which now, do you ever do you ever have a problem though when you have that many players as far as making sure everybody's getting in their you know same amount of actions and all that? No, not at all. Okay, it's it's I, I, I don't know. I guess maybe I, I like the more people because it just gives you more options and more people. And then especially the whole group argument thing gets makes me laugh hysterical because they all can't decide what to do. <laughs> yeah, that's actually part of how I came out with uh, Checkpoint Charlie for Top Secret was I had I had like seven people at the table and I had to figure out how to make it work so that everybody, you know, so I just kind of broke it down into three little groups and had them all working against each other. But yeah, I mean, cause that's one of the things that comes up a lot. I know uh, players at conventions, they, you know, they'll worry if they see too many people are signed up for a game because then they start to wonder, are they going to get in their actions or are they going to be down at the end of the table? Yeah, I understand. It happens. I had at one point when we were playing here in Texas, there were two groups of 12 people. So we had oh, 20 wow. playing at once in this one room upstairs, and it was kind of loud. It was almost like its own convention loud. So, <laughs> But I mean, it trickled away as people went away or went to college or moved away. But now I have a group of five. No, four, which is perfect. So, Yeah. In fact, anymore in conventions, I usually don't allow anything more than four to five people in one of my events. That way I guaranteed, you know, they're going to, unless it's D&D, then I'll let, you know, up to six people play because you can, you can still handle that. But, you know, a lot of it depends, I think, on the game that you're running, because obviously if you're running top secret, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to have a huge group. Same with Call of Cthulhu, I think. Because it just doesn't make any sense. Why would the government send eight agents, you know, to sneak into a country yeah. uh, before you could deal with? But then again, if it's D and D, you know, or Gamma World, something like that, you can, you know, it, you, it can make sense and and be a lot, you know, a lot of fun. You can do it that way. I think. Well, and I did the, the game for you guys in 2011 as Dead Game Society. I had about six people in my D and D basic game. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, it was kind of fun. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Word. So let's, uh, we can't do any stars this week because Nick's not here. So we can't have a voice read. Do we have any stars anybody know? Why, yes, we do, Vince. Let oh. me read them. We have the first one is a five-star rating by Patastro, a.k.a. DM Dad. And he writes, great podcast. It is full of ideas that can be used in most anyone's D&D campaign. The hosts have a great rapport, and their varying perspectives often provide multiple ways of handling a game concept, rule, or character class. While they sometimes get off the off topic at the beginning of the podcast, I'm not planning on adding a semi-professional wrestling character class to my campaign, so those discussions get the fast forward. But 
my kids, 12 years old and 10 years old, respectively, who play in my campaign, have enjoyed listening to the podcast to get insight into how things work in a first edition campaign, like the episodes on paladins, druids, and lycanthropes. Keep up the good work. Always enjoyable. Well, thank you very much, DM Dad. And our second one, we got a four-star review by Gelatinous Rube, which I love that name. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time reviewer. My friend DMS and I listen to the show regularly on Mondays at work. I'm sure their their employers enjoy knowing that fact. (laughs) We have been fans of the show for almost two years now. Used to get a kick out of old DM Will, a.k.a. DM Biz Marquee, and sometimes misses presence on the show with his almost uncanny Dungeons & Dragons wiki brain, though he was prone to talk over everyone, whether meaning to or not. I'll admit DM Matt used to drive us nuts most times. He never seemed to be doing any actual gaming. But as of the last six months or so, i pretty much come around to him. Vince and Nick, well, they are who they are. Both good and bad. Really? A whole show about Record of Lotus Wars? Blarf. <laughs> For the most part, love the show, especially when it focuses on modules, interviews with writers of said modules, or has an established theme. Love the shows about Ravensloft, gnomes, fighters, etc. Sometimes the hosts seem to go off the deep end, 15 minutes about whether people should bring snacks anyone. But for the most part, it's very informative. I have to say, the addition of DM Chad is great. Thank you. Love his enthusiasm for D&D and gaming in general. One of the best things DM Chad brings to the table is a willingness to accept certain ideas as long as they are role-played well. As sometimes, the other DMs have a somewhat narrower view on things, i.e. psionics. Keep up the good work, gentlemen. And ciao. P.S. Would love to hear shows focusing on half orcs, halflings as playable races. I think halflings are playable races. Uh, in fact, oh, I see what he's saying. He'd like to know how we would do that. Okay. So, also, maybe a sequel to the Raven's Loft show, which the first show seemed to only scratch the surface of, as well as continuing to go through old school Rolades and other modules. Thank you, Gelatinous Rube. Didn't we do like. A whole bunch of stuff on Ravenloft, Matt? Well, we had the one main show where we went over the module. Then, let's see, then the second module. Uh, yeah, because we did the house, we talked about house on Griffin Hill. With, with Will, I remember that. Right. Um, but I don't think we actually did a show on house on Griffin Hill. Um, because it, it looked, I think it was more, we may have mentioned some. In like a letters of the editor show, um, did but, one for Halloween one year, uh, Ravenloft two. Okay, yeah, that was the our uh, issue uh, sixty seven Ravenloft, where we actually talked about uh, house the house on Griffin Hill. That was back in way back in issue sixty seven. As for the first module, because I remember talking about this the sun dealie. Four? I don't. I'm going through our show notes right now, and I don't know if we've ever did the very first module. I think we talked about it. We talked about the house on Griffin Hill and 
Ravenloft in general in that Ravenloft issue, but I don't think we ever really just went through the module, like, room by room of the castle, area by area. Tips on how to play Strahd? Uh, let's see. I think we did that with, uh, maybe with Jason back in the day. Uh, no. Because Volume 2, Issue 67, Ravenloft. In Table Manners, it was role-playing in the land of Barvoria. And then Barovia. Bar- Barovia. Barovia. Hold on, I gotta do my Homer Simpson. Barovia. It's pronounced Barovia. Barovia. <laughs> Our game mechanics, we were talked about running gypsies. The creature okay. feature was Asselin. And then the dragon's sword was the holy symbol of Ravenkind. So we kind of talked about both mm. in that issue. but we So we never really focused specifically on I-6 or specifically on Ravenloft 2. Well, good. Well, that's going to be planned for October. There you guys know. Halloween special. Yeah, that'd be a great Halloween one. You know, five years, kind of, you know, all the shows blend into one. I know. <laughs> one homogenous show. Yeah. Thank <laughs> goodness Matt has, like, a kind of record library going on of shows, so. Yeah, otherwise it would be like, they just, they talked about that back at issue 32. How could they not know that? We're still ever. About, I was actually thinking about now that we have chat around for a different perspective and Matt talking and Nick Doing the very first episode we did, the old school, the primer, maybe revisiting that topic. Oh, we can start doing reprints of our own issues. (laughs) Exactly. No, (laughs) but uh, we can relook at revisit the old school primer episode because a lot of people like that episode as far as how to jump into the game and everything. So it might be a good episode to do like the old school primer episode revisited. Yeah, especially now since D&D classics exist and the accessibility to the stuff is a lot easier. Yeah, you don't have to steal it. I mean, find it somewhere anymore. You don't have to acquire intellectual property through uh, nefarious means. Yes. Yeah, I think it sounds awesome. Okay, cool. I'll write that one down. I'm writing it right now. Trust me. (laughs) It's right in the show notes, I swear. Anyway. So, uh, oh, yeah, 15 minutes on the snacks. That was because of an email. So, you know, there are a lot of people in gaming that get very, very touchy about food. So and they're not just fat people. So shut up. Those ones out there saying, oh, you're just fat. You're saying that. Yeah. And don't forget that episode was brought to you by Snap Happy Snack Crackers. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I am Peter Griffin, and this is. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, some people get very touchy about that. If they spend their money and they're watching some dude show up and just start eating their stuff every week, you know, you're going to get a little pissy about it. So, As long as Cheeto's Fingers doesn't ask if he can go through my DMZ or Player's Handbook, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with what he's doing. So you heard it, folks. If you want free food at Chad's house, go right there right now to play at his house. Just bring your own gloves. Yeah, I'm located in Texas at Street. Uh, 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 Chad is not located <laughs> in Texas. He's further north up towards the Yukon. <laughs> the Northwest Territory. I'm up there. You got to go above the tree line if you're going to. You know what I, that's all about. Yeah, if you want to find Chad, he's at the most furthest, coldest point in Alaska. <laughs> Just hike your way to Just his. Look house. for reindeer with red noses. Aww. Anyway, let's head into Sage Advice. 
Sage advice. Say, oh yeah, people missed the singing, so come on. Sage advice. Hey, sage yeah. advice. So this week's sage advice is going to be all about wrestling and the WWE. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that guy wants to fast forward. Don't fast forward. Yes, we will not wane and wax about the Undertaker losing I for the next the twenty minutes. No, stop. What? Stop, stop. Wow. No, we can talk about it. Stop it. Stop it. Anyway. Or the Ultimate Warrior dying. Rest in peace. We do have some voicemails this week. So two of them are Gary Khan reports. So just sit back and relax. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. This is DM Kojo. Just calling in to uh, give my post-Gary Khan report. Had a great time. It was really a blast. My first convention ever. Uh, so um, pretty excited about it. Uh, was uh, glad to meet DM Chad and have a chat with him. Sadly, I didn't get to play any of his games this year, but uh, hopefully next year. And uh, it was a great time. Sitting across uh, the table in a one-e game from Frank Menser was uh, very surreal and uh, a great experience. My gnome fighter thief managed to survive Frank's swamp dungeon uh, or swamp crawl, but. Uh, Almost died face down in the swamp water, paralyzed. So, uh, good times. Uh, I did also have a question I was hoping you guys could talk about. I was wondering if any of you have used the Archer class that was in Dragon Magazine, and I think it's in one of the Best of Dragon compilations as well. Uh, I always thought it was interesting. I, I played it back in the day. I have not used it recently or had any players use it recently, but uh, I like it. You know, the idea that you've got... Um, that specialization type with the bow, but it was kind of a pre-weapon specialization uh, class. So uh, just want to know what you guys thought about that. All right. Keep up the great work. Talk to you later. Bye. Yeah, it was awesome meeting you, by the way, DM Kojo. I really did enjoy talking to you. Cool. That reminds me, actually, I met a lot of great people uh, aside from just Merle and, you know, and seeing Frank again. I got to see DM Kojo and just a lot of other great people that I got to see up there. So anyway, shout back at you, buddy. Cool. Uh, Archer class. No, never used it. I usually tend to stay away from things in Dragon Magazine. Yeah. That's just my opinion. See, not, not anything against I like, it. I like the stuff. I love using stuff out of Dragon Magazine. Now, the Archer... <laughs> Which I do know exactly the cla- uh, the one he's talking about. Uh, I believe that came out of uh, wasn't forty three forty five was it forty five forty five page thirty two missile fire in the archer subclass right and I think it was Lynn Lakafka yes it who was created that yeah uh, it, it's it's a very it's a little bit overpowered the archer class but and it's, it's a also, cool concept it's also an NPC class as well right. That's- Mostly why I stay away from them, because they're mostly NPC classes. Yeah, but they had some... I love the Witch. I thought the Witch was a really cool class that they came out with. And and, and don't everybody stone me, but I like the Psionicist from Dragon much better than the one that came out for 2nd Edition. Burn him! <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean... I don't know. I mean, I probably never use it as a cl- the archer as a class for the simple reason that I don't see a real need for that class because you have fighter and you know you it, you can put the archer flavor to the fighter and achieve the same thing, uh, mm-hmm. especially if you're allowed to use specialization with the bow from Unearthed Arcana. Word. Word. 
Well, thank you, DM Kojo. Please continue to call in and uh, leave us wonderful voicemails. And we know you're Thacko's Hammer's biggest fan because you're always on there constantly, too. So, but you know, you're our original. <laughs> we miss you, buddy. Anyway, let's get into our next voicemail. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is uh, DM Angelo from Los Angeles. Um, no, it's been a couple weeks, but I wanted to kind of give a quick little. Con report from Gary Con Six. Um, I made the trek out there from Los Angeles, and uh, oh my god, it was such a great time. Um, I didn't do any, uh, uh, didn't run any games. I went there solely to just play and to kind of feel it out, and you know, play with some of the greats. And and I got into a bunch of really good games. I got into, uh, I mean, day one there, I got into Ernie's uh, Hobby Shop Dungeon game. Um, one of Tim Cass, uh, uh games. Uh, I was also in uh, Luke's tournament, um, which was which was man, that was pretty awesome. Uh, a reminiscent of the old days, uh, kind of uh, you know point system tournament, couple uh, uh, two round tournament. Uh, it's pretty tough. I played a cleric named Yasim the Red, who's a chaotic neutral cleric that. Uh, uh, all the preachers were a lot of fun. It, it, it was, uh, but uh, I was actually on Luke's table. There was a couple tables, uh, but I was actually uh, on Luke's table, and we made it to the second round. We didn't win, but uh, God, that was such a great time. But um, yeah, GaryCon was was a lot of fun. It was really cool to see a lot of uh, uh, faces that uh, I only knew through you know, Facebook or, or whatever. And, and, uh, um, what a great time. What a great atmosphere there was there. And, and, uh, um, one thing he was, uh, um, uh, playing under Menser was, uh, you know, his LED and D games were, were, uh, were a lot of fun to play. And, um, there was one, uh, game on Saturday night. I we sat down and, you know, he does the whole three-by-five card. You put your name on it and your character's name. And uh, so I sat at the table and, you know, started talking to some people. And looked across the table and there read uh, uh, one of the three-by-five cards, uh, DM Kojo. He was sitting right across from me. And uh, uh, so that was kind of neat to to, uh, to to meet him and chop it up with him and uh, put a face to the voice and... Uh, yeah, that particular game that we were in was was wild. There was twelve, I think, probably twelve of us, and and uh, uh, at one point, one of the characters died and and made a system shock roll because we were resurrecting him, and he rolled the hot hot. <laughs> and uh, it was just what a what a great memorable uh, um, uh, experience that was, and to play under some of the greats. It's, uh, Interesting for you know somebody that's been a, a DM and playing the game for thirty years to actually sit with some of these guys and, and watch how they handle situations and how they tell a story is is just you know it's, it's pretty pretty awesome for somebody like me. But um, I did want to ask you guys one thing: is uh, Minster had this had uh, uh, I was playing in that particular game. Well, both of his games that I was in, I was I was playing a druid. And uh, I did a lot of predicting of the weather and asking, you know, uh, casting that, those kind of spells. And it was actually we were in a wilderness campaign uh, uh, setting. 
what he had these uh, dice that were uh, um, that he used to randomly roll the uh, um, the weather, and uh, I was wondering if you guys uh, had any kind of. Uh, um, and I sat and out and talked to him after the game and, and talked to him about it a little bit. But I was kind of wondering what you were rolling weather and and or it'd be, I know as a DM on my end, I, I'll just. Uh, um, mold it to how the game's going or, or something like that. Uh, but do you guys have any random systems for, for rolling weather and, and the such? Uh, yeah, what do you guys do about that? But anyways, uh, yeah, that was a great, great uh, experience. I know, I know, Chad, you ran a couple games over there, and I was going to come by say hi, but I, I got so wrapped up in some of the stuff, but uh, uh, maybe next time. Um, but anyways, guys, uh, take care and, uh, talk to you guys again another time. All right. Thank you. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately he didn't have enough time to meet up with you, Chad, but, uh, well, there's a lot of stuff going on at that convention. I know I was running around half the time, like a chicken with its head cut off. So, no, I can totally understand. There's a lot going on during uh, during those conventions, and it's hard to get around to saying hi to everybody, you know, especially the more you go to a convention like that, the more people you start to know and recognize when you get there. And, of course, that just means more people you have to make around, you know, to make sure you say hi to. So it gets hard. I always make time to speak to my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I spent quite a few time speaking to you, Chad. I made the time just for you. That's right, you did. It's good to know that I'm I'm up on the uh, speed dial list. Well, wouldn't say. Uh, <laughs> well, as we, far as I know, I am. Don't don't burst my bubble here, Vince. Did have some nice <laughs> conversations to Gen Con, yes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, no, it was, it's too bad I didn't get to say hi to him. But uh, I'll say hi to you now. Hey, it, yes. uh, glad you had a good time. And and actually, uh, regarding your uh, weather question. Uh, aside from, you know, if you look at page 86 or actually 87 in the DMG, uh, there is a section that uh, talks about climate and ecology. Of course, you can also get that from the Wilderness Survival Guide. But uh, for me, uh, I generally tend to – I just know, you know, the environment that my adventure is taking place in. And, and you know, for that environment – you know, what kind of situation appeals to me at the time is what I use. Uh, I'm running a, a, a uh, I actually running a play by post game based off of our play by post episode. So shout out to Doc Mindwipe, uh, Cinnabar. Uh, uh, there, there, there's about six of you guys out there, Longfoot. Uh, but anyway, uh, if I missed you, you know. But, uh, you know, I'm running them through a wilderness campaign right now, and, and it's winter, and it's snowing. And, in fact, they just got done going through this hill region where it's just like almost, it was almost having a blizzard, and wolves were tracking them, and they had to deal with the weather. But uh, I just decided that, you know, it added to the tenseness of the whole thing, that they had to not only evade these wolves, but, the, you know, it's just, it's just blinding snow everywhere, like a whiteout, and they're in these barren hills uh, so I just, you know, it worked, I thought for the theme. So that's how I do it. I've done it with a couple campaigns I did with, especially with the tyranny of Asmodeus. I had one of them in a sticky hot jungle setting and they had all the characters rolling, uh, just in case, uh, 
Well, I did most of the roles just in case they fainted because of the heat and the exhaustion of walking through a swamp trying to find the uh, uh, the place they had to go to. But I have, actually have a set of dice that's for random weather rolling, which I think Chessick makes. I, I think so. I pick, think I picked it up at Gen Con one year. It's pretty interesting. You can roll for what take time of the day, what type of weather it is. Matt, you've seen those dice, right? Yeah, I've seen those. Um, and I, I've also enjoyed using the World of Greyhawk, the box set, had a weather chart in it as well. That's the one I always remember using. Yeah. And it you could basically chain the weather. If the weather was this on the day prior, then add this modifier to this dice roll so you can actually get something that kind of quasi makes sense as opposed to going from a tropical heat wave to a blizzard in one day. There is, I saw a couple things online of people made up weather generators that just sit there and as each day on your campaign you hit the next day and it generates the weather like you said, but it's kind of wonky because it goes from blizzard to uh, heat wave, so. Right. So it's kind of interesting to just take a look at it. I saw it, I can't remember the name of the campaign that uses it, but the guy has a different weather for every day and it's kind of. Interesting how it goes from a blizzard to a heat and then to rain, and all of a sudden it's freezing again, and then all of a sudden, whoa, it's warm. It's like, yeah. you know, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to have that kind of a weather change. There should be some sort of in character explanation. You know, it's, it shouldn't be normal, probably. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, Dave the moderate, I forgot you. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. I found a weather generator online that looks pretty good. You select the, you have the climate, cold, temperature, warm, and then the season. And if there's a supernatural, uh, cause behind it and it gives you like a description like the one it randomly generated for me was description clear temperature moderate high 51 low 33 relative colder than normal wind force light wind speed four miles an hour a gentle breeze having little or no effect on the game or then i can go to warm and then all of a sudden it's severe heat uh, above 110 a character must make a fortitude save it's obviously for d20 games but you can modify that so hmm. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And they also have a whole bunch of other uh, generators like on this site as well. Uh, dun- random dungeon generator, encan- encounter generator, magic shop, treasure, XP calculator. So I'll throw. I don't focus too much of my games on the weather. But some people do like that, yeah. which is cool. You can focus on it as much as you want. Some people enjoy that. That's why they have those those wilderness survivor guides. Yeah, if they're outside, I like to focus on the weather. Just you know, I, it's it's just part of the overall picture. But outside of that, then yeah, cool. So let's go on to our next voicemail. Hey, this is Dan from DM Chad's Play by Post Game. Love the show, guys. But I'm missing something. You gotta bring back the creature feature theater. It's been a while. I love that part. Doing a great job. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Well, he happens to be in luck because we are bringing it back with this issue. Woohoo! That's right. And every issue going forward, we will make sure that we'll at least have it, unless it's a special themed episode, have a creature feature theater in just for him. No, for everybody, but mostly because of him. Yeah. <laughs> He's in your You game. ask and you get. He's in one of your games. Is that the game you just spoke of? That is indeed. Uh, that was Dave, right? Yeah. Dave the Moderate. Yeah, he happens to play our elven cleric, Eladan Rahal, a cleric of Solanara. Did he say Dave or Dan? I thought he said Dan. I thought he said Dan. Uh, so that could be 
uh, well, that could be Cinnabar. That could be uh, 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 John. He's the uh, he's our our Rolaids uh, our friend friend who wrote all those modules and everything. Oh, okay. Uh, then maybe Doc Mindro wipe. I don't think his name is Dan. And it didn't sound like Doc Mindro because Doc Mindro has the uh, a little bit of an accent from overseas, so I, I recognize him. I've heard talk, I've talked to him once or twice. Okay. Yeah. See, I only know their I only know the handles they use. You know, so like Cinnabar, Doc Mindwipe, uh, Dave the Moderate, Longfoot. Uh, so unfortunately, I think that's Longfoot. Pretty that sure that could be that could be Longfoot. Then Longfoot is actually our. Uh, 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 he's playing Xavier, actually. Yeah, he's he's also a cleric, uh, mm-hmm. cleric fighter, and yes, indeed. In fact, he's doing some damage to the wolves right now. So good on you. Cool. All right, our last voicemail. Hey guys, this is uh, Stephen Jakeman just calling in. I started um, listening to your podcast a couple weeks ago. And I'm working my way through all of them. I just got to uh, episode 22. So I have a way to go yet until I'm caught up. But um, it's been great so far. It's actually the first podcast I've listened to uh, regularly. So a couple questions. Oh, first, um, before I started going through sequentially, um, I was just listening to some random podcasts and heard your podcast that was pretty recent, the Brick by Brick Doors um, tool. And after your uh, review of it, I actually went online and purchased it. And it's been helping me with my dungeon creation. So it's pretty cool. Um, A couple questions. Uh, In episode 20... You talk about dice brief well for a while, <laughs> but you talk about one player who is cheating with his um, weighted, well, not weighted, but uh, his cheater die has three twenties on it. Um, I actually have a weighted die that's kind of rounded on the edges um, so that it rolls twenties usually. Uh, I didn't buy it. This is actually a hand-me-down die from my oldest brother who started playing Dungeons & Dragons um, back when Dungeons & Dragons first started. Um, and He made it by hand, and uh, not the die. He purchased the die, but he weighted it by hand. Um, and it's actually, to me, my most valuable die because it's probably because it's a gift for my brother. Um, I never use it as a player, but occasionally, as a dungeon master, I will use it um, if I want the the villains to do extra damage. Like maybe the maybe the players are being a little too successful; they haven't taken enough damage. It's not dramatic enough. Maybe I'll roll the enchanted die to um, make it more likely that a crit will happen and maybe make it a little bit more interesting. Um, so I guess my first question is, do you feel like that's cheating? If the dungeon master is using the die to make things more interesting, um, but still random, if not 100%. Um, 
you know, sometimes the dungeon master will fudge the number. He will roll at four, but he'll say that it's a that it was a great goal to make things interesting, um, which I don't really do that. My other question, um, sorry, this is a long, <laughs> long message, but your ad does say to talk as long as you want, so I'm um, using that. Second question or comment, rather, was on, in episode 21, you talk about alignment a little bit. You talk about alignment occasionally. Uh, anyway, uh, so the question is about neutral, and you probably go over this a lot in the next hundred episodes. Um, but in case you didn't, I was wondering about uh, neutral. It was said in your last um, podcast, or it, not your last one, in episode 21, that um, one of the guys, I don't remember which DM, um, said that he views neutral as those people who like to, uh, or who feel purpose in balance and balancing good and evil. Um, when I play Dungeons and Dragons, I try to play it for uh, verisimilitude and kind of exploring other um, moral dilemmas and, and questions of humanity, I guess. Um, and so I was wondering if you felt like that was an actual applicable to the human um, experience considering, like, does anyone actually exist that that looks at the world and says evil is too powerful, I'm going to fight against evil, and then on the other hand you have, uh, oh, there's too much good, I need to fight against good. Um, And like I said, you probably discuss it a hundred times in the next hundred episodes. But, uh, so in my view, a good person, a good aligned person would be those who go out of the way to do good things. An evil aligned person will go out of the way to do evil things, um, probably because they enjoy it. Uh, and those who are neutral just do what's best for them. And I know that you've talked about a little bit how you don't agree with that. Anyway, just curious about your, your thoughts on that. Um, but like I said, so far, I'm really enjoying your show. Um, even got me to, to buy a tool that you reviewed. And keep being awesome. Um, maybe I'll hear about cheater dice and neutral in a few weeks when I get to, <laughs> to episode uh, 138 or 39 or whatever. Um, thank you for your time. And keep it original. Bye. He's got a lot of episodes to catch up on. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he kind of hit a couple of different topics there, didn't he? He definitely did. And who does fight for good against evil or switches side to side? League of Shadows, Liam Neeson, Batman. No, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, you, know, I, I, when, you know, if if you have an evil character or, you're, or an evil NPC, I don't really think they're out doing evil for the sake of evil. I think they're doing evil because it's... You know, they, nobody looks at what they're – nobody describes themselves as evil. Let's just say that. Uh, they're doing what they're doing, which is evil for their own benefit. Now, whether they do it in orderly fashion, uh, say in politics, 
or, or if they do it, you know, just if they mug a guy out in the street, which is probably a more chaotic way of doing evil, uh, they're doing it for themselves. They're not doing it for the sake of some evil standard. Right. Yeah, they, they don't sit upon their high tower twirling their mustache going, I am evil. Ha, 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 No, they're just doing what they do because it benefits them and they don't really care about others. That's what makes them evil, the lack of empathy. Exactly. And neutral people are just lazy, so that's why. Hey. <laughs> but, yeah. I don't think anybody actually in the world sits there and says, well, good is doing way too good today. Let's bring more <laughs> evil into the world. I don't think so. Or I don't think there's, there's probably people that sit there and go, evil is doing too much evil in the world. Let's stop that. Yeah, but I don't think there's the opposite, though. Yeah. Well, uh, the, yeah, that, the only people that would do that are those that play true neutral and don't understand true neutral. Yeah. They're the ones that in the middle of combat would start attacking their own party when their party started winning. That's and then, I, and then immediately remember. switch sides once evil started winning. Yeah, they don't quite get it that it, true neutral is more like almost Zen. You know, it's like without evil, there can be no good. But they also believe, you know, like if one side is winning a battle, they don't they don't you know, they don't try to keep a perpetual battle going. Right. Uh, it's the natural order that that side should win. And therefore, you know, uh, it's it's this whole kind of this is what makes them so hard to play as as characters, because you can't really go up to a true neutral uh, say monk and be like, uh, you know, they're they're raiding the village. We must go stop them. Uh, the, the monk may say, well, you know, this is this happens in the world, uh, you know, and unless he harms me directly, I, I have no right to play a, uh, to change to, to dictate the fate of the world. Right. You know, uh, that, that's of, probably closer to how they would look yeah, at it. It's part of the natural order <clears throat> order of things. It a true neutral doesn't mean everything has to end in a tie. Exactly. A true neutral simply means everything ends the way everything's supposed to end. Yes. It ends how it shall end. And whether mm -hmm. or not it ends is up to itself. Exactly. Did we a fortune cookie, Matt? Yes. <laughs> that, that is something that needs to be made. The true neutral fortune cookies. All it is is <laughs> – Yeah. You should say. What should I do today? That depends. You will do what you will do. <laughs> And that is what will be done. <laughs> you will do what the natural order of events will allow you to do. <laughs> Something weird like that. <laughs> that which is in your nature shall be your path. <laughs> uh, that's why I believe true neutral should be a NPC alignment, not a player alignment. I, I almost, yeah, I kind of agree. But you know what? It really never comes up. I don't think I've ever, I don't really think in all the years I've played, I've ever had somebody come up to me and say, I want to be true neutral. Yeah. Well, why had one person out of all the time I've ever played played a druid? Because no one ever plays a druid. And they're like, oh, no, true neutral. I have to be true neutral. It says it in the book. So I'm like, all right, I'll allow it because like, I've been playing for a long time. And, of course, they didn't play it correctly. So. <laughs> I thought druids don't have to be true neutral, do they? I believe so. I think they do, actually. I thought they could be any of the neutral uh, classes. I think that may have been later on. Hmm. Well, well, why don't you peruse I through the books? 
Yeah, I'll have to take a look. I don't really. If you want to be a druid in my campaign, though, you don't have to be true neutral. You could be neutral. I'm sure there are druids with agendas out there. <laughs> they uh, a second sentence in the druid. They are only it, absolute neutrals. Viewing hmm. good and evil, law and chaos as balancing forces of nature, which are necessary for the continuation of all things. Yeah. Well, that I, I should I should correct myself. True neutral actually isn't an alignment in the game. That's I think second edition actually renamed it true neutral. Right. It's, it's just, actually just neutral. Right. Yeah, because there's neutral good, neutral evil, uh, uh, what is it, lawful neutral, chaotic neutral, and then there's just neutral, yeah. which I guess people could call true neutral. That, that's what they renamed it in second edition. Well, no, it's actually true neutral in the player's handbook as well. Oh, well, then I suck. Never mind. <laughs> I was saying it right the whole time, just thinking it was the wrong edition, that's all. Yeah, I thought I'd heard through neutral in the P, uh, PHP, but... Maybe you're thinking I basic. To me, that is just such a perfect world uh, scenario. You know, it's like, well, a druid should be... That's, that's like, it sounds like it came out of the druid handbook. You know, a druid should be totally true neutral. But nobody is really true neutral. So therefore, I've rule in my campaign, as long as you're neutral, you know, you can play a druid. It's in that book. So you decide to become a druid. <laughs> <laughs> so you've decided to become a druid. Only you can prevent forest fires. <laughs> Only you. Yeah. And, take, and help Ruff yeah. take a bite of crime. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the description for true neutral, it says a character can be basically good in the true neutrality or tend towards evil. It is probable that your campaign reference will keep a graft of your drift. <laughs> well, he stepped on a kitten today. I'm going to say he's drifting off to the south. Right. So, okay. So now tomorrow, if he cuddles a kitten, he'll <laughs> drift back to the north. <laughs> Come to the dark side. Right. Well, there you go. Then what they're really saying is, I mean, if, if I don't know why they didn't say this, since they're kind of saying it anyway. Uh, you could be a you could be a neutral good or a neutral evil uh, druid, right? With, with I would go with that, and I'd allow that. But according to the book, it's just the true absolute neutral. <laughs> so. Right, and there would definitely probably be somebody at the table who would raise their hand. Excuse me. The book, I think we should refer. And I would say, get out. Get out. Yes, get out. (laughs) All right. Uh, But, yeah, I think we drifted uh, a little bit ourselves there. Not really. Uh, Not really. Yeah, so anyway, I guess I would just say, you know, uh, uh, I don't think anybody out there, you know, is trying to uphold the morals of evil. Uh, So... Maybe the Illuminati might be doing that. Mm, there you go. Well, actually, they're they're doing it for themselves too, though. Yeah. Mm. Yes, there's very few that are supervillains just for the sake of being a supervillain and monologuing for no reason. Mm. Except for maybe the demons and devils. Yeah. <gasps> the infernals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I can okay. see them twirling their handlebar mustaches, cackling about how evil they are. Yeah. yeah. And hey, here, put this little spin on evil. What if your evil villain sees himself as an avenging angel of good? He just he has absolutely no tolerance. And he's he's actually a tyrannical ruler uh, and the people are suffering under him. And he's the only one who doesn't see himself as evil. Like Lord Soth, maybe. Yeah. There you go. Right. You know. 
He's on a mission. Just because you don't agree with the mission <laughs> just means you're stupid. And should die. Yes. <laughs> a mission from Gad. That's it. <laughs> All right, so if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can dial 570-865-4210 on your phone and talk as long as you like, as you heard today. Or you can um, record a voicemail on your computer and send it to us via email, rfistaff at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on Facebook if you'd like to uh, question us, but you'll have to find us, and we're hidden very well like the Illuminati. And uh, but you can always find Matt because he's always hanging around somewhere. So yes, yeah. I'm in or places. you could just shout things randomly at your computer with nobody listening, which I do a lot. Yes, Chad does that quite a bit, and doesn't uh, get the message across to us as well. But <laughs> anyway. that's how we keep the dead games. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, computer! <laughs> anyway, so how is the Dead Game Society podcast going? Uh, actually, we need to get the next episode recorded. We've got uh, four episodes out now, uh, and I'm in talks right now with uh, a very well-known person uh, to, to do a interview with us for a lead-in to our final coverage of the basic sets of D&D. Oh. So you can probably guess who that is. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, our idea was we would have that interview out first and then we would have our own, uh, round table in the, in this, in the following episode, you know, uh, or maybe we'll do it the other way around. But, uh, so we're almost done with basic and then we're about to move into advanced D and D. And then I think after we get done with first edition advanced D and D, we're probably at that point going to move on to other games. Like there's been a lot of people asking us to do something on traveler, yeah, uh, and we may have to bring in a guest host on that one. I'm not as versed on Traveler as I'd like to be, uh, but definitely will be hitting uh, Gangbusters, and and we're doing everything in chronological order as the game came out. Which, while I was at, at GaryCon, uh, Jason was nice enough to give me this really cool <laughs> poster uh, called the Cosmology of Role Playing Systems, and it's like a it's like a solar system. With Dungeons and Dragons as the sun right in the center of it, but then as all these planets varying on the size of the planet, uh, with corresponding size of the game, uh, as you go further and further out towards the edge of the solar system, you're seeing newer and newer games or more recent games. Uh, that's going to be a big help to us because now we can actually refer to our, our solar chart on what game we should be covering next. Cool. Yeah, yeah I think that was in Gygax 1. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really neat map. Yeah, it? yeah it was, it's really interesting, especially if you, you're interested in when you once you start seeing the parent-child relationships between various offshoot games. That's what I found really fascinating. Exactly, and you know, it was just so <laughs> crazy that 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 came to us. You know, that, that map right as we already just decided to do everything in chronological order. So this is really going to be helpful to us. I think Gamma World, in fact, then may be the next one we cover. Well, Gamma World, a traveler after D&D. They were right there, you know, when D&D came out practically. You get a lot of feedback for Doctor Who as well on your... Uh... I'm more than happy to cover Doctor Who. Uh, I ran that game, actually, uh, at GaryCon 4, I want to say. Yeah, GaryCon 4. I ran a uh, FASA Doctor Who game and FASA Doctor Who... Uh, the rules for that game, uh, in many ways, established the rules for Fast's Star Trek game. 
which came out afterwards. So more on that, though. You'll have to tune in to the episode. <laughs> but we do have some cool interviews coming up. I can say that because I made a lot of nice inroads with people while I was at the uh, convention. And, uh, and you may hear some of those on this show. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's head over to our emails now. Let's reach down in that email bag. Matt, cue sound effect. <laughs> I just... It's it the was... 3D BB. <laughs> Sorry, I was watching Tennessee Tuxedo today. So. <laughs> let's say I wasn't feeling a cat reaching into the bag, hopefully. Yeah. Well, let me get the cheap sound effect. Okay. First that just email. sounds like you're eating Cheetos. <laughs> Maybe I was. Maybe I was. The first email comes from Matt. Hey. Hmm. No, this comes from Matt with one T. I am Matt with, well, I'm Matthew with one T. Hmm. Very interesting. Too simple. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, this Matt comes from the UK, so. No, not me. And he says it, yeah. He says, hi, all. Can you help me? Can you help me get a few resources together for the busy GM to blag his way through a biweekly campaign? I'd like to try and follow the player's lead and run a sandboxy type game with just a few ideas roughly prepared that can be dropped in. What I am looking for is that a list of encounters that was compiled in the competition a little while ago, each entry containing an NPC and a line or two description to spark some role play. Do you remember that one? No, I don't remember that one. Do you? Uh, let's see. I remember. That I re- cage dungeon contest. He's talking about maybe. Maybe um, because I remember we did the an actual adventure module contest. I don't. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what he's talking. About. I remember there was a contest that we did way back, but that was more of how would you adjudicate a situation. Oh, the one that Jason ran, and the prize was just being able to enter the contest. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> that was. I said, "What's the prize?" And Jason's like, "I don't know." The ability to enter the contest. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> All right. So what happens if they lose? <laughs> I, I don't know. That You're was hard. And uh, yeah. Also, any other resources you can recommend that I can delve into quickly on the fly to keep the fan to keep the fantasy going? I have the Dungeon Alphabet, the Monster Manual, Vordenheim. Is it Vordenheim or Vordenheim? Vordenheim. Vordenheim City Builder, but could use more. Love the show. Look forward to every new episode, but really miss the singing during Sage Advice. <laughs> Regards, Matt with one T from the United Kingdom. So, what did you find for resource methods? You went, oh. Nothing. Um, <laughs> I'm just like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, for suggestions for encounters, I've always liked if I have like a game world that's actually really fleshed out, I can just kind of ad lib off the, as they explore the world, like either the uh, city systems box set if you want to tramp, trounce around in water deep, it, that's horribly detailed. And also has some random encounters in it, or the uh, City State of the Invincible Overlord box set. So detailed, any building they wander into, it has a little, a little bit of information about. It really just depends on how good you are at coming up with stuff on the fly, if you want to take that approach. As for a bunch of different encounters, uh, maybe the AEG Ultimate Toolbox? Um, yeah. You can generate a whole bunch of stuff quickly using that. Either one is good, the first one or the second one. 
Yeah, I picked up the second one at Gen Con this past year for like five bucks. So it's yeah, it's pretty cheap. Yeah, but it's really good in detail. Oh, absolutely! It has a little of everything in it, and just enough that uh, you can quickly just spark ideas. Even though it's built for D twenty, it could be very system neutral. All you have to do is rip out the D twenty stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and don't forget about the appendices in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Go down there, and you have random dungeon generation, uh, random wilderness terrain generation. You have random monster encounters by the, uh, you know, the setting type. You, you know, you have underwater random encounters, astral, ethereal, psionic encounters, uh, outdoor random, uh, dungeon random encounters. But the great thing is you can look at, you know, you get a good idea of what type of creatures would be in that setting and you don't even have to make it random just go through there and see what you know what tickles your fancy uh and as you're building it together using these you may actually start to realize that something more concrete is starting to form uh and from that point once you know the direction you're going i think then you don't have to really rely on the random stuff as much because now you have a definite idea of what type of uh, you know of, of creatures should be showing up at that point. I think. Yeah, and there's also uh, track down the book of layers in uh, book of layers two. Those were just little like one page uh, scenarios ha- that have like a monster in it. So it's a little plot hook with a little adventure, but you can flesh it out more to fit your actual campaign world. And those are actually first edition related. Um, and I'm pretty an on-the-fly person with NPCs. I'll write down names and kind of how they act if I want them to be very kind or just kind of like grumpy and old and see how the players react to that. I mean, from that, I've yeah, I've made up so many NPCs that are just reoccurring characters and stories. Like I had one that made up named Rupert. All because the player, one of the players had a bad interaction from him and decided to take it out on him and steal stuff from his store. So they had a whole rivalry going on for the entire campaign. This guy kept popping up and saying and preventing the players from doing stuff or like buying stuff. He would raise prices and steal stuff from them all because of one little cheesy encounter. So it can be it can be done. You just have to roll a riff off the players. So. Right. Sometimes mm-hmm. the players will give you your best campaign ideas when you just hear them talking amongst themselves. I, mm. I, I've so off. I've I'll actually even sometimes modify my adventure ideas when I hear them pontificating on what they think's going on. I'm like, that's so much better than what I came up with. I'm going to go with that. Oh, definitely. I mean, never underestimate the value of what the players can offer towards your adventure as you're going forward because yeah they they have great ideas that oftentimes you won't even think of and then you're like wow that's a good idea cool thank you matt not matt here on the show but the other matt next email comes from steve it says hey guys listening to issue 23 now right now and you were pondering about when ability checks came into play one of the hosts, I'm at the worst of remembering names, said it came about in the Lazy Man's third edition. However, I know it came before then because my DMs were doing ability checks throughout my growing up years with second edition AD&D. I don't own two e-books anymore, so I don't know when and if that was official, but I doubt they came up with it on their own. Enjoying the show. Thanks, Steve. 
I think it was Nick, and he was talking more about how DMs just jump automatically to ability checks as opposed to letting players describe what they're doing in the game. But, yeah, ability checks came in way before even first edition. I think it was even in basic. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, in... If you go back to like the uh, white box sets, uh, which I'm glad to say I just got one of those limited edition ones. Awesome. And I ran that, by the way, at uh, GaryCon. Anyway, back to the subject. Uh, <laughs> ragging, ragging, ragging. Throwing that in there. Uh, but uh, yeah, in, in the, the ability checks, you know, most you don't really start to see in my opinion at least from what i've seen the a lot of it came down to your stats you know like your strength and and i guess that's what you're referring to when you say like ability checks right like your strength and all that or like a skill yeah so yeah of course that was already back in the uh in the white box uh but i know that uh there were a lot of the old uh, DMs, myself included, uh, who insisted on knowing how you were doing something. You know, it wasn't enough just to say, you know, can I open the door? Well, what's your strength? I, I'd like to know little things like, uh, you know, are you taking a running leap at the door or whatever? That's a bad example. But I, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking a character how they're doing something because based on the detail they give you and the and the and the validity of the idea that they're giving you, you can modify their ability scores uh, for that one role. You know, if they're doing something really smart but they're not that strong, but they're making use of leverage somehow, uh, that should be factored in. I'd like to, when players don't describe those things, I'd like to say, all right, so you, you want to enter the room, fine. I go, your character flings the door open and runs in the room with his sword out. And they're like, wait, no, I don't do that. Well, I'm like, oh, so what do you do then? And that's how I get them to kind of describe uh, what Ah, uh, I see. I don't that's actually tricky. make them do that. I just say that, and they go, no, 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 wait. And I go, oh, really? So what would you like to do then? <laughs> kind of like one of those. <laughs> exactly. And then uh, they do I push the door open slowly and I creep into the room with my sword at my side. You know, I'm one of those, so which makes it even more interesting. So there you go. That makes sense. Yeah. Groovy. But I think Nick was referring to how their DMs just when they say when the player's going, I search the room, DM's like, okay, roll me D twenty and add your search. Right. And there and that's what we see a lot of as we get into like second edition and really in third edition. Uh because by that point it was all like, Well, I'm gonna climb a wall. Well, do you have that uh skill? <laughs> it's like, no, well then you can't climb it. You know, and it was like it, what? A, I could see doing that at a convention because of the lack of time. And you have so many people in the group, you could just say, I searched the room, the DM's like, Okay, boom, you find because it's just a one shot thing you're playing in. I've yeah, rarely, and yeah, I've I can. I played in one, one, one campaign that was continued on from convention to convention for for a couple of years, and that was I've never seen that before. But it was kind of cool to be a part of it. Kind of a cool idea. I like that. Yeah, it was one guy who when I went to Mepicon in Pennsylvania, he always ran a first edition adventure. It was part of the same campaign, and every year we'd play the same type of characters, or at least the same group of characters. And he continued it from session, I mean, uh, convention to convention. So it was kind of interesting. I, I missed that. So yeah, that's cool. Hmm. Very cool. Thanks, Steve. Next email comes from Robert. 
And he says, hey, guys, can a fighter use specialization for the bow? How about the double specialization? Well, I guess if you used on Arthur Cannon like we discussed, we talked about before the show, sure, you definitely can do that. But double, I don't think that's allowed because it says, I think, Chad, you pointed out it says melee weapons only. Well, actually, Matt pointed yeah. that one out. Sorry, uh, Matt. I pointed out it was an unearthed arcana, but uh, I was I did not I did not remember that uh, if you want to double specialize in a bow, which most DMs would <laughs> pull their hair out if they even heard that uh, desire, uh, but you can't double specialize in bows. Nope. Uh, I never allowed it to begin with when I thought you could, uh, but uh, apparently it's not even a house rule. You can't double. You can only do it. What is it, Matt? Melee weapons only. But it also excludes pole arms and two-handed swords. So only all melee. So no missile weapon at all can be double specialized. Strictly, Which there's a good reason for because if you look up missile weapon, uh, especially bows, uh, it gets the damage. I think we were talking about this before the show. What there's like a potential to hit like thirty points of damage per attack round. Right because, when when no, you're firing two. Yeah, you're, when you're firing two arrows in a round, you have a damage potential of 12 to 32. In other words, a fireball Jeez. at first level. And that's first level. Uh, can you imagine if that was double specialized? That would be 24 to what, 68? Yeah. Points of damage? It's About insane. There. Uh, but it, as far as can fighters specialize, yeah, uh, in my, uh, it specifically states in the Unearthed Arcana that the only two classes that can specialize in weapons are the fighters and the ranger subclass, uh, to which I, in my own game, have limited it to straight fighters, and then I do allow rangers to specialize in a bow, but nothing else. Uh, and <laughs> obviously only single. But yeah, so fighters... That that was their way to kind of say, look, you know, we know all the other martial classes are kind of passing you by. Uh, nobody wants to just be a vanilla fighter anymore. Uh, so we'll give you specialization and right. not really even the playing field. Right. Also realize with specialization, when you specialize in a bow, it requires an extra p- proficiency slot in addition to the weapon specialization. That's a good point, Matt. I, you know what? I I forgot to mention that too. Uh, it does. It takes tw- it takes more of your slots. So I think at fighters they start with four slots. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's half of yours gone right there. Right. So they'll uh, all, they'll be able to specialize in the bow, and then they'll be able to be proficient in one other weapon, and that's it. That's all they can use. Well, wouldn't they be proficient in two other weapons? Oh, wait, no, because it's two slots to, to Just get specialize. specialization and then, and then three to get a bow specialization. Right. And, yeah, and that's the, right. Yeah, then a ranger that specializes in a bow, they can have no other weapon proficiency other than a bow at the start of the... Exactly. And there you go uh, to our previous uh, uh, person who asked about archers. That would be your archer right there. There you go. And knowing's half the battle. That's one to grow on. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and now that we re- revisited the 80s twice in one sentence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Robert. Our final email of the night comes in. 
and says, hey guys, just wondering what your thoughts are about classes that require prerequisites for the class, such as a strength or a dexterity, etc. And the character loses one or more of those point requirements while adventuring at low levels, such as 1 to 4, for example. Would they still be considered that class, and he puts that in big letters, class, or would they lose it, i.e. Monk loses something, would he revert to a fighter until he could retain those abilities back? How would you adjudicate that? Thank you, Tony from Ohio. What do you guys think on that one? Well, I mean, okay, from my point of view, yeah. uh, I would say I'm going to I'm going to take Matt's point of view now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say, <laughs> yeah, you lose the ability to be a monk if you lose the the required stats because it, those stats are not just there because it's not like a preferred. You know, you're not going to lose the knowledge of what a monk, what you knew as a monk, but you're losing the the physical ability to carry it out. You know, uh, it's one thing to know. Uh, you know, I used to be able to do the uh, the red lotus triple flip, right? Well, if he can't do it anymore uh, because he doesn't have the dexterity or the strength to to achieve it, knowing is only half the battle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which actually may, is if you use the aging rules as characters that have that prerequisite but barely need it as they age, they could lose their class too. Yeah, I mean, let's stop and think about each class that needs a, a requisite, right? Well, if you really start to dissect it, uh, okay, paladins, they have to have a 17 uh, charisma, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but why? Because a paladin is not just a holy warrior, you know? I mean, any fighter can, can say they've found God and run out and start slacking, you know, hacking people. Uh, but a paladin is like, he's got to have... The people have to kind of, you know, believe in his cause. Right. Uh, otherwise, he's just John Cleese in, in the Holy Grail. <laughs> Get up the whole town. But if you lose the charisma to, to keep the people rallied to your cause and your belief, are you really a paladin anymore? The people won't look at you as a paladin. You know, they'll look at you as an insane psycho fighter. <laughs> Well, what if you have the intelligence and wisdom to be able to convey your abilities? But you don't have speaking man. So it's like getting a, a it's like getting comic book man from the Simpsons, who's or or what you know what's his name, uh, the Mad Doctor, who's like you know. I mean, it's like <laughs> these guys, you know, based on the IQ episode, they have very high I IQs, and everybody really nobody really rallies around them because comic book man is smart and annoying. <laughs> you right. know, he, he thinks he's getting his message out. Worst episode ever. Uh, but in reality, he has a low charisma. So, you know, you can be smart, you can be wise, but if you can't convey a message that will get the people on your side, it doesn't really matter. Right. It's like when you look at the scientists that get interviewed on television. Why is Michio Kaku everywhere? Because he's charismatic. That he, guy knows how to sell it. He it, sells sizzle. Exactly. He ha he has a way with words, the flowery talk, the presentation to make people that aren't interested in the <laughs> science listen to him and break it down so they understand. Where he may not be the smartest, most cutting edge theoretical physicist in the world, but 
they're not as charismatic. They can't convey it to the masses as well. So therefore, he gets all the t- TV time. It's the same That's thing. That's right. It's, it's well, the same is that is that why Sarah Palin is it? Oh, never mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all I'll say is Michio Kaku's no Niels Bohr. <laughs> yeah. So okay. So basically, we're saying if they lose the ability, they pretty much can lose the class, based on what you're saying, Chad. Matt, what you're saying. Yep. So what would they revert back to their core? So if a monk would revert back to just a basic fighter for the time being, a paladin, a basic fighter for the time being. Yeah. Right. Whatever they're a subclass of, they would revert back to the primary class that that um, umbrella is it. What if you're using the unearthed or can't rules and they're no longer a subclass and they're right. their own class? Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask. Yeah, you mean like the Cavalier? Yeah, or even the Paladin becomes a well, subclass. Cavalier the subclass. The Paladin subclass of the Cavalier, according to Unearthed so Arcana. The Paladin becomes Cavalier, the Cavalier would become a fighter. Right. You know, I mean, there you just have to. I, I even think the Cavalier class says that they become a fighter if they do certain things, right? Right, yeah. Uh, then a paladin become a cavalier then? Uh, does a paladin become a cavalier? Quite possibly. Okay. Right. According to Unearthed Arcana, it would, and it would make sense because cavaliers don't necessarily need to have the people per se, you know, uh, re- they don't need to be seen as good. They just need to be seen as somebody who knows and follows and, and administrates the law of the land, which is why they have to be, I believe they can be, they have to be lawful. In nature, uh, I'm pretty sure they can be lawful evil, lawful good, or lawful neutral. Paladins obviously can't. They have to be lawful good, uh, and a lot of that is perception. You know, you have to control the message, and that's what paladins are very good about doing. That's why they make great sp- spokespeople. Right, and then you need and realize, basically, every class except fighter has some sort of minimum ability score. Like cleric needs a minimum wisdom of a nine. And cleric's a base class, so if they drop to a wisdom of eight, I would say they're now a fighter. Yeah, I think fighters have a – they have to have a strength of nine, don't they? Uh, Pretty sure. Yeah. I, and a constitution of seven. Yeah. So so, so we you're up- literally – you end up being a commoner, somebody who doesn't have the strength to wield a sword, the strength and hardiness to wield a sword in, in any kind of a prolonged battle. You may know how to swing it. But, man, that sword gets heavy after the second swing. Uh, you, you don't have the – as a thief, you're, you, you may know the uh, theory of everything it takes to, uh, to pick a lock. But every time you try to, your, your big fingers get in the way and you just can't do it, you know, or uh, you have a palsy, right? Uh, your fingers shake. Uh, it doesn't matter if you know how to do something. Your body's got to be built to do something. Uh, I can watch gymnastics every day of the week, but I'm not going to be hitting the horse. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do they call it? You know, do it. Uh, I'm horse. not going to be swinging on the rings. <laughs> so. And if you'd like to see Chad swing on the rings, please write in to rfstaff at gmail.com and pledge your support. Yes, you too can make a difference. <laughs> You too make it different. Stop with the commercials <laughs> from the eighties. PSAs. Give a hoot. Don't, Don't pollute. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That is going to conclude our emails for today and voicemails for today. And we do have one more segment we're gonna head into. And what is that, Matt? It is the returning creature feature theater. Let's head into that now. Are you saying 
that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long Creature Feature Theater. It's back. The Creature Feature Theater. Roar. Yes. (laughs) And the creature we're going to talk about in this Creature Feature is one you probably haven't come across. Let's be perfectly honest, because I don't think I've ever actually played in a game where one was used. But when Mm. I saw it, I was just, this is something I need to talk about. For one, it's not often we talk about flora. For this hmm. is Flora. A yeah, moss. Can, we get, can we get serious for a minute? I'm yeah. sorry, when you said it, that just made me think that. <laughs> All right, yes, this creature is moss. But it's a very scary moss because it's memory moss. And if we go to page 96 of the Monster Manual 2, you'll see the Obliviax. It's dun, a memory dun. moss. Dun-dun-dun. Oh. Which, when you look at its stats, not all that scary. One to two hit points appears in groups of two to twelve. But its special power is what is the most frightening. For you see, it has the ability to steal the memories of any intelligent being within 60 feet. It, It will take all your memories from the past 24 hours. Which can be rather amusing if, say, you're a magic user. Because then... It can actually cast your spells if you against you. I'm also imagining, say you just leveled up in the past day and it took your memories. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, there's Let's a little... Let's just say you're walking through a forest and... Uh... <laughs> yes. Let's just... A little farm bill for you. Yeah. And, or, you hey, wa- or you walk through... What about through... the fact that... You also lose any memory of why you're there in the first place. But, hey, maybe the memory moss will go and complete the adventure for you once it realizes the urgency. Right. Or say your party just met each other within the past day. You're now in a strange woods with six strangers. Obviously psychos. Exactly. Carrying swords, (laughs) dressed up like crazy people. So there's all kinds of fun that can be had with this creature. There is... One th- way to get your memories back, and that is to actually eat the living moss. Oh. But there's also a risk with that, because you can also get other people's memories as well. So Ooh. basically, it's like Rogue from X-Men, when she was absorbing like the memories of Carol Dan- Danvers. Yeah. So yeah. you could have other people's memories, which actually could be an interesting way to uh, spark uh, campaign ideas. Perhaps they, uh, the moss absorbs some memories of some less savory people, and you see, like, a hideous murder through the eyes of the murderer or something. Or treasure. Ooh, you find out one of your trusted comrades is not actually your trusted comrade at all, but a doppelganger. Yes. Yeah. So there's all kinds of fun that can be had with this. But it's even if you were to eat this moss, though, it's just not as simple as just eating the moss. You still have to make a saving throw. And if you fail that saving throw, you're ill for 3 to 18 turns. Because apparently it's not really tasty. Wow. Have yeah. you ever found a moss that is tasty? No. So. Yeah. It's yeah. all hot. 
Now, Matt, quick question then. Yeah. How what now is this moss like most uh, uh, flora type creatures, uh, basically unintelligent on its own, no. or does it actually have? It's actually average intelligence, and it's well, neutral evil. Well, you know what would make th- this would be interesting then as a uh, what if what if memory moss obliviax was either intentionally grown by a more powerful evil creature uh, or somehow a bargain was struck where it was it was it was kind of like a uh, you got to break into the crypt of something right yeah. well lich is smart enough to either uh, grow his own uh, obliviax or or strike such a bargain that anything I mean that would be a tough barrier to get past say it was the final barrier that behind the green door okay that's something else but uh you know you see you see these great stone doors uh and and they're covered in green moss uh and you know this to be the final seal before you face the ultimate you know terror that lurks and yet that's memory moss and so anything that actually ever does try to get into the big baddie immediately forgets why they're there and they go away right it's you save versus spells if you fail that save you lose your memories for the last 24 hours which is one great ways to cripple any magic user cleric or any other spellcaster in the group also any memory it steals it can act the moss can actually form itself into like a uh, mossy version of that character and do combat in that form. So definitely a very good guardian type creature, I think, for oh, a more right. intelligent, for a more powerful creature like a lich or a vampire. Right. You know, I mean, think about uh, uh, environments where you could, where moss would be very natural setting, like, say, Ravensloft, where once, you know, there's moss over the castle walls right. and stuff, you know. Strahd could very well think of using memory moss, and that would be a great way to stump your characters because you know maybe the final thing they have to get through before they fight Strahd or whatever you want is not a battle it's they have to figure out a way to not forget why they're there in the first place right and then perhaps also if it was like a lich or like a Strahder they all they actually end up consuming the moss after it takes memories so they gain more knowledge Ooh, and then they help. Maybe they don't eat at all. You know, they obviously memory moss wouldn't like that. But uh, maybe the deal struck is that, you know, uh, they share knowledge with each other. You know, they make they make a symbiotic uh, right. deal and the and the big baddies allowed to eat a portion of the moss so long as he promotes it growing back. Right. And also when you consume this memory moss if it had spellcasting abilities from devouring the memories of a spellcaster anyone who eats that moss can cast those memorized spells <laughs> so the so say your wizard has all of his spells wiped for the day because he lost his memory for the past 24 hours and your fighter eats the moss your fighter's now casting fireball or whatever other spells he had memorized Oh, ho. And if the big baddie had created his own kind of spell that was like some sort of a really powerful scribe spell, maybe he keeps a running library of all the spells that get uh, that, you know, that, that he comes across via his uh, partner, the Obliviax. Right. Maybe he just has some Obliviax 
near a well-traveled road and just absorbs people, anyone who passes memories just to accumulate information, maybe get some blackmail on the local politicians. Definitely. Yeah, so there's all kinds of ways you can spin this creature. Either, one, just having it be like the poppy fields in The Wizard of Oz is... Puppies! 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 They walk past and they just look around like, why are we here? Mm-hmm. Or this can actually be used by more nefarious creatures for their advantage because stealing someone's memories for the past 24 hours is actually kind of good. Who would have thunk it? Yeah, and what if what if the memory moss itself was the big baddie? What if it was massive? I mean, like, what if you had... This whole forest was covered in like this kind of a green moss, you know, everywhere. And, and it could, it's, it's like one of those, you know, cre- you know, it's one of those symbiotic creatures where many make up one. Right. You know, there could be many mosses acting in conjunction to form one sentient force. And the creatures you fight, it could periodically form creatures out of its mass, like you were saying, yeah. to go up against the party. Uh, and the you know the party would actually ultimately have to realize that the evil they were fighting was all around them and not some centralized evil, you know. Right. I'm almost now imagining it a giant. Ma- if you had a giant mass of this encroaching upon towns, like like the blob or something. <laughs> oh, like Doctor Who episode where they had the uh, the old Tom Baker one where they had the. Martian plant life that was got bigger than a house and was taking over everything. Yeah, it comes in yeah. and just wipes everyone's memories for a day. And it's basically Groundhog Day. That's yeah. how Groundhog if, Day would happen. What if a town got infested by it, oh. like a small village? Yeah. And Ooh. every day the people forgot really kind of what, you know, it would be almost like Groundhog Day. Right, yeah, they, they relive the same day over and over because they have uh, no memory yeah. of it. Yeah, you could definitely do something really cool with this. I think, yeah, I think this could actually, I've never really thought of the Obliviex, uh, you know, to be honest, I hadn't really given it much thought before this, but there's a lot of potential with this creature. Right, yeah, it, it's one of those when I, it's one of those you would never look at, you're like, oh, it's silly moss, whatever, but the more you think about it, the more it's like, you could do some really cool stuff that you're, most players will never see in a campaign, because most of it's like, oh, it's a big monster and it d- deals this much damage. When you see one to two hit points, you're like, oh, the party will easily kill it. But when it takes their memories, why would they attack the moss? Yeah, why would they? They wouldn't even – it would be moss. Exactly. They wouldn't even remember there was anything special about it. Right. You wouldn't remember you forgot anything. You would just be kind of confused as to actually how you got where you were. Mm-hmm. But if you were asleep in your bed and there was moss outside your window and you woke right. up, you would think it was just the day – it was yesterday when it was today. Right, exactly. It's insidious. Yes. Very, very cool. Very cool. So, people out there, tell us how you may use these memory-stealing moss. You can write us in at rfistaff at gmail.com or call the hotline at 570-865-4210. There you go. Hope you enjoyed our creature feature this week. And we'll have one every week. Um, 
let's wrap up the show this week. Thank you to all the people that wrote in and sent their voicemails. Uh, a couple plugs, uh, North Texas RPG Con coming up in June. I will be there. DM Glenn of Save or Die and Dacos Hammer will be there as well. Uh, Jim Wampler of um, uh, Spellburn and Save or Die will be there as well. Um, DM Mike from Save or Die. DM Liz. Possibly. No, I don't think so. Chad, you're going to North Texas RPG Con at all. I won't be making that one, but I did uh, uh, want to say that uh, there are two other conventions to uh, keep on your radar. Uh, the Nexus Game Fair, uh, which the DGS is heavily involved in, is June 19 to 22nd in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the Clarion Hotel and Conference Center. Uh, and their event, uh, the event catalog is now available to view games and pick out what you'd like to play. Uh, and then also I wanted to say that the Game Hole Convention uh, in Madison has just opened event submission. Uh, for their convention, which takes place uh, November 7th to the 9th. And I know one of their... Uh, oh, and I wanted to say, one of the big guests at Nexus will be Merle Rasmussen, uh, Top Seeker creator. And one of the guests they have going uh, to the game hole is uh, actually uh, they have... Uh, what did I just blank? Uh, Ed Greenwood. Cool. So that'll be really cool. So anyway, those are two conventions. Definitely keep on your radar. So Game Hole, you can submit events. And at Nexus, you can look at the events that are now up. And there's one new convention coming out just announced by Joseph Block. The Oswarp Convention is now coming to you near the northeast area, New Jersey, Morristown, New Jersey, July 4th to 5th. It is a sub convention from Dexcon. I don't know if you've ever heard of Dexcon or not. It is basically the equivalent of North Texas or Gary Con. They were playing old school RPGs, retro clones, war games, miniature, historical battles, anything else you think is appropriate for old school. For more information, uh, Matt put the link into our show notes. You could sign up yeah. for that. It will be at... Uh, let's see here. It just says Marstown, New Jersey. I can't seem to find where... If you go to the link we provide, there is a code in there, and you'll get a $30 discount off the complete membership to the convention. So, I don't know. Just check it out and support another old-school-type uh, convention. It should be fun and glorious. And I wish I lived in that area now. <laughs> Again. <laughs> but anyway, check it out. Go there, and uh, I guess that'll wrap up the show this week. So we're going to say keep it original, keep it old school, and the streak has been broken from The Undertaker. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. The Roll for Initiative podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. You can visit us at rfipodcast.com or contact us on our forums at osrgaming.org or even by calling us at 570-865-4210. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. And remember, if your magic missile spell doesn't automatically hit, you're playing the wrong edition. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Roll for Initiative. Roll for Initiative.